Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, Chris. Uh, Good to talk again. Today's podcast is going to be mainly of an international nature, uh, but clearly a lot of stuff going on globally that resonates very strongly here in this country and impacts very strongly on this country. Um, We're seeing a lot of action in a part of the financial market that rarely gets the sort of attention it deserves because, and that is bond markets. Bond markets are absolutely crucial to everything that goes on in the economy and the financial system. And over the last few days, we've seen a lot of action. Bond yields are rising very strongly. Um, so I think we need to try and get under the bonnet there to see what's going on, to try and explain what's happening. And most importantly, why this matters to all of us and our lives. China is the second big story. We have covered it quite a lot in recent podcasts. It just continues to be the gift that keeps giving, in a sense. Uh, The Financial Times has a headline this morning, China unveils capital market reforms to boost investor confidence. And I've seen some pretty dramatic comments in the media over the last couple of days from people like Noah Smith, and George Magnus about just what's going on in China. And as the world's second largest economy, it clearly has a very, very significant impact on stuff that happens everywhere else. Something that we have spoken about in a lot of different ways in recent months, and that is this whole global supply chain issue and the way in which national security concerns are now starting to trump national economic concerns. Today, we've seen an announcement from the German interior minister about removing Chinese components from its Germany's 5G telecommunications network. So that is an ongoing story and it feeds into industrial policy and particularly what's happening in the United States at the moment with Biden. So let's try and discuss these issues to the 
greatest extent possible. But starting off on the bond market story, uh, the statistics and headlines over the last couple of days you know, are quite dramatic, actually. US 30-year bonds at the highest level since 2011, 10-year bond yields in the States at a 16-year high. Um, in the UK, bond, the 10-year bond yield is at a 15-year high. German 10-year at the highest level since 2011. Um, and we see, for example, the 10-year in the States at 4.24%. The Irish 10-year is at 3.03%, which is the highest in quite some time. And the German 10-year bond yield is at 2.62%. Uh, 18 months ago, that was minus 0.6, minus 0.7%. Uh, but a lot of this has happened over the last few days. We've seen a dramatic spike. How do you interpret what's going on, Chris? With great caution, Jim, for a number of reasons. One is when we construct stories about why any financial market or indeed any market's price has gone up or down, uh, we're often constructing that in the words of Taleb, the guy who wrote the book about the black swan, a narrative fallacy. We're constructing stories about things that really defy explanation. And even if we wait a couple of years to, to try and disentangle what's going on, uh, sometimes it's impossible to know precisely why something happened. You know that in trading rooms that you both of us have worked in, Jim, over the years, when we try to come up with these stories, we end up sometimes, quite often actually, just shrugging at each other, saying, there, well, there are more buyers than sellers, or the other way around, to justify movements in price. And of course, we construct stories as to why everybody's suddenly buying or why everybody's suddenly selling. And there is a lot of selling. Let's stick to facts before I come on to my narrative fallacy in a minute. There is a lot of selling of bonds. Now, bonds are important for all sorts of reasons, not least that governments have to pay rates of interest on their debt and those rates of interest are those bond yields that are going up which means that the cost of servicing government debt is going up which means that the tax burden for all of us is going up that's but one implication every other asset every other financial transaction in the world throughout time is dependent on these yields for all sorts of strange and wonderful reasons which i won't go into your overdraft your mortgage your credit card your car loan, anything that involves borrowed money ultimately comes back to these bond yields. The share prices of your investments, your pension fund, whether you have your own personal pension fund or you have a government pension fund or whatever, if you own shares, the price of those shares depend in a large part, not entirely, on bond yields. So they determine everything. They really, really are that important. And their prices have been going down. That's the same thing as saying the yield has been going up. The two things are inversely related. The other fact that's really pertinent to trying to construct a narrative is looking at the bit of the bond yield that's been going up. And this is where it gets a little bit technical, but it's worth persisting with for a second. In the States in particular, but more generally everywhere, because the United States, as with all things economic and financial, is the most important bond market in the world, it's what we call the real bond yield has been going up. Now, this is the bond yield adjusted for inflation. It's the yields that you were quoting there at the top of our show, less some measure of inflation. Real yields can be determined by a whole bunch of things, but essentially they are determined 
by long-run rates of economic growth, we think. We're not 100% sure, but the story that's doing the rounds now in the States that is driving real bond yields and therefore the overall bond yield up is that growth is coming in a lot stronger all of a sudden than we previously thought. Now, that's down to something called the Atlanta Fed Nowcast. And the Atlantic Fed Nowcast suggests that the economy in the third quarter is roaring along. I got my doubts about that. I think that that might be a bit of a false signal. More generally, the fact that the US economy has managed to withstand all of the rate increases by the Federal Reserve until this point without generating a recession, and as a result, the soft landing discussion that you and I have had, has led people to think, oh my gosh, what this actually means is the soft landing, the interest rates, maybe maybe not will go up again, but over the next few years, they're going to stay at around current levels. They're not going to go down in the way that we previously thought. I could go on and I wonder if I've managed to keep any of our listeners with us until this point, because it's always that kind of a narrative, that kind of story, that kind of thought process that is necessary to try and answer that question. Why is this happening? There are all these things going on connected to the inflation outlook, the economic growth outlook. And the final piece of the jigsaw puzzle is the borrowing outlook, because these bonds are monies borrowed. These bonds are what the government is trying to get people to lend them, lend them money. And we discussed a little while ago Fitch, a ratings agency, getting all twitchy about US government borrowing prospects because they are borrowing so much money. This is not unconnected to your final point in your intro, Jim, about industrial policy and about the money that Joe Biden is spending on things like the CHIPS Act and various other pieces of legislation to try and boost the US economy, to try and take production of goods away from China and bring them back to the United States at best and at worst have them friend short and not involved in China. So this is a very long and complicated story. I apologize for taking quite so long over it. But everything is related to everything else, that famous expression again. That's not even the complete picture. I could witter on, for example, about the fact that the Japanese central bank, the Bank of Japan, has changed its monetary policy stance, which was all about explicitly controlling long-term interest rates, bond yields, allowing Japanese bond yields to go higher. And that's also impacted on everybody else. So we do have an issue in global government bond markets, George Magnus, you mentioned in your intro, has described it as another potentially Minsky moment. That's named after a famous economist who said that once we have long periods of stability, they sow the seeds of their own destruction because people go to excess, they do stupid things because of the stability. And that's what led to the financial crisis of 15 years ago. And we've got another one going on in China, maybe at the moment. So lots and lots of things going on, Jim. I should shut up now and allow you to pick out any one or none of those threads that I have just been wittering on about in a very long-winded answer to your question. I apologize for taking so long, but I do think it was worth spending a few minutes on it. Uh, no, no, it is absolutely, Chris, because as we're always saying, everything is connected to everything else. Um, we see at the moment cryptocurrency is under significant downward pressure again. The reasons for the bond market volatility you, you've explained, but basically there's a sense that the U.S. economy is actually stronger than would have been believed possible given the 5.5% interest rate tightening we've seen since March of last year. The markets certainly seem to be coming around to the view. Those historically low bond yields that we lived through up to a couple of years ago 
are no more that we're in a permanently higher bond yield environment for the foreseeable future i take this sort of market sentiment with a grain of salt because the markets react to events and and as two people who worked in markets for a long time it, it always amazed me the way markets become so fixated on something and they believe the world has fundamentally changed and then something happens and there is a total pivot and the whole view changed. So current market sentiment you know, will, will change again. But at the moment, it's one based on uh, US growth being too strong. The Chinese economy that we're going to talk about in a second is in serious trouble. Japan is slowing again. The euro area, particularly Germany, is slowing significantly. I think what central bankers do from here is going to be incredibly important. Uh, the minutes of the July Federal Reserve meeting showed that a number of members of the Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMC, that sets interest rate policy for the states were of the view that rates need to rise further. So that's certainly spooked markets to some extent. But what the central banks like the European Central Bank actually does next I think is going to be incredibly important because uh, based on my analysis of the eurozone economy i think the european central bank uh, putting it politely has done enough has probably done too much uh, but as we know central bankers do tend to overshoot on the upside and the downside so i think central banks will have to take cognizance of what's happening on global bond markets at the moment how that feeds into global equity markets. And of course, they would have to take cognizance also of what's happening in China, the implosion of the Chinese economy and its financial system at the moment. So further interest rate tightening in this environment uh, becomes a lot less of a one-way bet. So it'll be interesting to see. I think your remarks about taking certain narratives that the market comes up with, if not our own narratives with a pinch of salt, is very important here, Jim. Uh, the first thing I would say now, um, listening to what you've just said, is that I think it could well have a lot to do with it being August and that all the important market players are on the beach somewhere. That's possible. Uh, I noticed that two market uh, players or talking heads rather than players, Larry Summers, one, Bill Gross, another, two people with great influence in the US financial scene, one an ex-US Treasury Secretary, one it used to be called the Bond King, talking about U.S. tenure rates needing to go to four and a half, four and three quarter percent in the last few days. And that seems to have soured sentiment as much as anything else. But listening to you distill, thankfully, distill all that I said about the, the, the global economic picture, there's only one pocket of strength in that list that you came up with there, Jim. It's a large pocket, admittedly, but it's the U.S. Absolutely. Um, the rest isn't looking so hot. In fact, when you look at Europe and China and Japan, it's all looking slower. And if you're thinking about the inflation outlook, I would have thought that people would be getting very excited that inflation could get another downward leg as a result of Chinese economic weakness because their exports are going to get a lot cheaper because um, their currency is going down. It should help to take some of the recent pressure that we've seen on commodity prices off. So that, that might help. So there's lots of contradictions within the narrative that we're beginning to tell that if bond yields are going up because of economic growth and inflation fears, there aren't a lot of those about outside the United States. In fact, there are none outside the United States as far as, as, far as I can see of, of any, any consequence or that are new. So, so I have my doubts about, about whether there is something uh, really, really sinister going on in bond markets. 
The thing that I'm more worried about, actually, I mean, that's worrying enough. I'm not saying I'm insouciant or, or, or relaxed about what's going on in bonds, because if it is sustained, if I'm wrong, it, if it is something, then I think there's a lot of trouble ahead for a lot of financial markets, for the financial system. So, no, I'm, I'm not taking it uh, trivially. I'm not treating it in a, in a trivial way. But what is more important than that is actually the Chinese story and whether or not China is in serious deflation trouble. Because you, we've talked about Chinese property companies going bust ages ago. There's one of them went into bankruptcy in the United States or, or bankruptcy protection in the United Evergrande, States yesterday. Yeah. There are several other names that none of us have ever heard of also apparently close to that position. Uh, Noah in his piece this morning said that the official statistics for Chinese property prices are showing single digit percentage price falls in the key cities. He's saying he thinks it could be 20, 25% residential price falls. If that's what's going on, if we have a full on property bust going on in China, then the ripples from that, the waves from that could turn into a tsunami for the rest of the world. Yeah. So the Chinese have to step in and stabilize this. If they don't, then I think we could be in for some serious issues. Chris, could, could I take you away from China for a second? And we will return to it. The one thing we haven't really mentioned in the context of the bond market discussion is the housing market and potential implications. US mortgage costs are now at the highest level in decades, I think. It was the front page of the, well, the front website of the New York Times yesterday had the 30-year mortgage front yeah. and center. It's the first time I can remember mortgage rates being on the splash page of the New York yeah. Times, first time for a long time. That shows you that, yes, it's serious. It, 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 it does. Rising bond yields uh, should, by definition, push house prices down. Um, we spoke in the last podcast, and I wrote about on the Substack account, the latest house price date in Ireland. We saw the first monthly increase in a while, and that's largely because you know demand is still incredibly strong. So I suppose what I'm really trying to say is that in theory, what's happening bond yields at the moment should push property price, residential property prices down, and indeed commercial. We still don't understand what drives house prices, do we? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm not sure we understand what drives any prices uh, these days, Jim, because one of the things that's happened as a result of the great inflation story of the last couple of years was, as we've said many times, coming into it, so many of us thought that it was going to be transitory. Remember that word? Yes. And uh, then with all of these, if you'd said that rate rises in the States would be going up from zero to five point something and in Europe from zero to four point something and 
in the UK, it looks like they're going from zero to at least 6% at the moment uh, in terms of market expectations. We would have all forecast the most awful bloody things happening in, in financial systems, in banking, and in the non-bank shadow banking sector, all the different corners of the financial market that would be damaged by higher interest rates, we would have said would have been severely damaged. They haven't. There's been the odd blow up. We've seen the couple of banks in the States get into trouble, but nothing so far very serious. So we've gotten the whole inflation interest rate story wrong. And there's a very interesting economist right up your street, because he's a very right wing economist in the States called John Cochran. And he's leading the charge on a, on a Admittedly, it's a narrow group of economists, and this illustrates, again, in a long-winded way, for which I apologise, the question to you, the answer to your question about what causes prices to go up. You asked specifically house prices. I'm talking about general inflation. He's saying that in the current circumstances, inflation went up all of its own record because of all the different factors that drove inflation up, supply side, ch supply chain stuff, energy prices, and all the rest of it. And Whatever the central banks did, put interest rates up, not put interest rates up, inflation would have come down all on its own. And because the interest rate effects haven't been anywhere near what we thought they were going to be, I've got a, some, not a lot, but some sympathy for that perspective in that the links between interest rates, central bank interest rates and inflation are a lot weaker than we previously thought. And there is a lot more mystery out there about the inflation process and therefore what you should do about it. And that this automatic knee-jerk thing that we've got, which is that if, if you've got an inflation problem, you've got to put interest rates up. I think the situation is much more complex, much more nuanced than that. And sometimes it depends upon where the source of inflation is. But yes, the drivers of house prices are many and varied. And that's true of all prices. So therefore, to have this one-size-fits-all view of house prices or all prices in general, inflation in general, is going to lead you into trouble. You've always got to make it context-dependent, and you've got to ask what's going on underneath the hood to the extent that you can see all the different drivers of all of these different prices at any one point in time. Because sometimes it can be because of a demand shock. Remember all that old-fashioned schoolboy Google stuff, Jim, leaving third economics, demand pull, cost push, all that stuff. And we junked it all. And maybe there's something to it after all. But certainly, it was a, a lesson in the way that we used to think about inflation is that the answer to what you do about it depends on what's causing it. Whereas these days, we simply say, if you've got inflation, put interest rates up. That, I think, is wrong. Chris, I have to um, acknowledge the jive you made of me about being a right-wing economist like John Corcoran. I have a letter here filed away from somebody in count South County Dublin a couple of years ago accusing me of being a left-wing scumbag. Oh, really? And one of my one of my sons tends to call me Pink Jim. So <laughs> one's, one's interpretation of what's right and what's left. Uh, I have always operated on the principle that I do not want to get caught up in ideological battles. I try and judge every situation on its own merits and i may have a slightly right wing slightly left wing um perspective but i, I tend to react to events rather than being tied into some and ideological just, time warp just as you do all our regular listeners now know uh, that my 
occasional jibes at you being a right wing are just to tease you <laughs> and to get and to get the reaction that I just got. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being right wing, okay? Uh, Chris, mo- mo- moving back to China, uh, the world's second largest economy, the second most populous country in the world, um, has been overtaken by India recently. Chaos at the moment. Uh, the currency is in serious trouble. The financial system seems to be in serious trouble. The property market, as you've described, is in serious trouble. And economic indicators, particularly external trade data, very, very weak. And we see all these sorts of headlines about a crisis of confidence among Chinese youth. So we're being hit with the tsunami of pretty dramatic news out of China in recent times. Um, And if the People's Bank of China um, cut interest rates by 15 basis points earlier this week to 2.5%, and, uh, you know, that was the, the, the largest interest rate cut since for the last three years. Um, the bank is now asking state-owned banks to step up its intervention in foreign exchange markets to dampen the volatility of the renminbi. Um, it's cutting the bank's reserve requirements. And yet the renminbi is moving towards the lowest level since 2007. And the, the bank has also injected... 757 billion renminbi that's 104 billion dollars of short-term liquidity into its banking system Um, i could go on and on but all of this is very very reminiscent of the summer of 2008 absolutely Uh, kind of scary that's why some people are are saying is that both are a minsky moment hyman minsky was a very famous economist long dead who posited that periods of stability sow the seeds of the next financial bubble or economic bubble, in that what happens during periods when things look stable on the surface is that people start taking greater and greater risk underneath the hood, and that until and unless uh, things start to come to the surface, that those risks remain hidden. But when they come out and become visible, boy, do they cause trouble. And that was the story behind the great financial crisis. And one wonders whether this is the story playing out in China. We don't know, um, but I do think it potentially is very serious. Uh, People differ on how serious it's going to be, even if it is a China crash. Um, Let's call it that, because some people think it could be uh, a good description of what's going on. Noah, who we mentioned earlier on, friend of the podcast, thinks that even if China crashes, it won't be that serious for the rest of us. He does have very specific worries, um, and our UK listeners, and indeed um, anybody in the European, with an interest in European banks will be interested in this. He mentions um, two British banks with huge exposure to China, which are HSBC and Stand Chartered, and speculates in his piece about what would happen to them if there was a full-on, full-blown China crash, and um, muses, that's all he does, about whether or not they will need to be rescued by the state in the way that banks were rescued in the past. He's not forecasting that, neither am I, so I, I don't wish to be alarmist. But other than that, he thinks Western banks are in good shape and uh, will be able to withstand any problems with their Chinese loan books. Because that's essentially what leads to financial crisis, is that loans that have been made to Chinese companies, Chinese borrowers that go bust in a crash, damage banks and their capital base. And the only two banks he seems to be potentially worried about, as I say, are British listed banks, HSBC and Stand Chartered. Uh, I'm not so sure that I would be that sanguine. Um, Having lived through several of these crises over the last number of decades, Jim, 
when one of these things goes off in parts of the world that seem a long way away, they seem to always quickly wash up on our shores, don't they? Uh, yeah, yes, indeed. I mean, thinking back to the eruption of the great financial crash or global financial crisis back in 2007, 2008, um, it started in a few obscure hedge funds that nobody really had heard of. And very, very quickly, um, it spreads around the world. Um, let's hope it's just August, Jim. Let, let's hope it's just August. Um, but it's, it's, it's certainly a story we will have to keep on top of if we want to understand global economic and financial environment. May I um, mention one final yeah. concern that I think is real? And that is that equity markets, stock markets are going down this week because bond markets are going down, because bond yields are going up, bond prices are going down. And the two are often, not always, connected in that way. Um, another reason why stock markets are going down or some equity prices are going down is that we are starting to see articles appearing asking the question, is the artificial intelligence boom just another overhyped bubble? I've got no particular answer to that question, but I'm fascinated to see it being asked. I have noticed, as I said on our podcast with Shane the other day, uh, that every time I use any of these chatbots, um, they always hallucinate. They always make something up, which leads me to think that they're not quite ready, they're not quite fit for human consumption yet, at least not the way I'm consuming them. Whether or not that's behind some of the uh, deflation in equity prices, because it is certainly the case that the artificial intelligence thing has hyped the share prices of obvious companies like Microsoft, Apple, um, and, and a list of about a dozen or so other names. Uh, that may well see some air coming out of that particular bubble as well. So I think it's important that we mark that. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> another thread in this whole Chinese discussion is you know, what's happening in terms of national security and national economic interest. Um, we had Biden in the last couple of weeks impose restrictions on the export of certain components to China, which could feed into the Chinese military machine. Um, the German interior minister has just said that she will not be deferred from removing Chinese components from the 5G telecommunica telecommunications network in Germany if it's in the best interest of national security. And she went on to say that there is clearly a high risk from having components from Huawei and ZTE in the German telecommunications network. And, and this is an evolving story. And of course, the Chinese themselves are trying to um, become self-sufficient in more and more goods. And um, there's a story in the Financial Times this week about how this increased focus on self-sufficiency is going to damage scientific research in China. So, you know, it's there's no doubt about it. I think that China is the probably the economy more than any other that has benefited most dramatically from globalization over the last three decades. And it has lifted a lot of Chinese out of poverty. And that whole model is now under huge pressure. And then you look at Biden's industrial policy, um, it's becoming increasingly domestically focused and pretty interventionist. Um, he is using what's described as a place-based economic industrial policy. So in other words, they locate parts of the country that have been left behind and they're trying to focus investment, um, not least in education, the university system in those areas to try and stimulate economic activity, create jobs in those areas that have been left behind. 
So it remains to be seen if this sort of very interventionist industrial policy works or not. There are very mixed views on that. There was a paper from the San Francisco Fed a couple of years ago that was basically arguing these place-based policies don't work. Other papers arguing that they are effective. But certainly the Biden administration is placing a lot of emphasis on this sort of interventionist policy at the moment. But what it all boils down to at the end of the day is the growth of economic nationalism being driven by um, national security risks. And that is a major challenge for globalization and indeed the world economy. And as I said, China is one of the um, the losers in that whole um, development, I think. And if things go the way uh, some commentators think, the the place-based economic stroke industrial policies of Joe Biden, as I mentioned earlier on, are firstly designed to bring economic activity back home, um, to have it onshored. And if you if companies don't do that, at the very least, to have them have these activities friendshored. And guess which economy is one of the biggest friends of the United States and could really be a huge beneficiary of that should it come to pass? Ireland. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there may well be a civil line to that. As you say, Jim, there's a huge debate, which I've been promising to get into on this pod, and yet again, we've run out of time, about whether these so-called industrial policies of Joe Biden are going to work. There are some very serious people who think that they will, and some very serious people who think that they will not. And the history of these policies going back many decades, of course, is at best very, very mixed. And certainly from a UK perspective, uh, the answer of most economists here would be that history teaches you that they don't work. But there are people that say that moonshot type policies in the United States have transformed the economic outlook, the economic picture, the, the moonshot itself in the 1960s did produce huge, huge uh, gains for many different industries. Technological innovation and all the rest of it came about because the government intervened so heavily in that particular aspect of the economy. But whether or not I think it's going to work or not doesn't really matter. Joe Biden clearly does. And what and I think the, the, the overall thing I'd leave our listeners with is that it's not being covered nearly enough uh, over here by um, Western European media. And what's going on in the States in terms of the reshaping of the global economy is absolutely massive. Don't underestimate it. And the consequences, hard to see. We've touched on the debate here, but there are going to be consequences, Jim. Big ones. Indeed. Uh, Chris, my final comment would be just to refer to UK retail sales for July fell 1.2% during the month, which is very, very weak, much weaker than market expectations. And that follows an increase of 0.4% in the second quarter. Uh, but this is being large, this weakness is being largely attributed to wet weather rather than interest rate increases. And July in the United Kingdom was the sixth wettest, excuse me, the sixth wettest July since records began in 1836. And of course, that meant that online sales went through the roof. People shopped from their desks. Yeah, and, 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 and in, in that regard, Chris, it is worth mentioning that AIB published a report this week looking at online, or sorry, card sales. And there was a dramatic surge in card sales. You mean during, credit card sales, yeah. Credit card sales, yeah. yeah, during the month of July. 
and it's being attributed to the Taylor Swift and Coldplay concerts. Very good. Talk yeah. to you. Take it easy, Jim. Speak to you. Have a great weekend. I'm speaking you. you next week. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. 